The Mark Stein Show. And now, here's Mark. March 16th, 2021, the eve of St. Patrick's Day. We have a brand new video poem on that. Because as I always say, video poetry is where the big bucks are. And we'll have a little more for you uh, before the show ends today. Just ahead of that and all the other delights, I keep getting asked about me and the Rush Limbaugh show. And I said something about that on Thursday's Q&A, and I don't want to keep returning to it, but I was very touched by this exchange on Fox and Friends between Steve Ducey and Newt Gingrich. Well, I, I got a question for you, <laughs> Newt. Who, who takes over for him? Because he is leaving a gigantic void in the world of broadcasting. Well, I mean, I think Mark Stein probably has the, the, the inside track as a really interesting intellectual who's also very funny and very capable of doing it. He's been doing Russia's show for a good bit. Newt's being awfully generous there, all things considered. If I was still at EIB, uh, maybe we'd get him in for an interview on all that big picture stuff he's so good at. On the subject of which, I keep trying to do a weekly feature on Chinese penetration of the West, which is supposed to be about penetration of our key institutions. But for some reason, we keep getting detoured into a rather more literal kind of Chinese penetration because Chairman Xi has decided to anal swab the planet. Don't worry, it just goes two inches up and then a twist. It's the Mark Stein Show, anal swap watch. Come on, everybody, drop your pants. Yeah, you're looking good. I'm gonna sing my song. It won't take long. We do the anal swap till it makes you sob. Come on, let's twist again. Like we did last Thursday. Twist again, like we did last week. Do you remember when things were really throbbing? Hail, it's twist again. Let me hear you shriek. Ow! A well around and around and up and up we go again. Oh, baby, let me hear you say, Awesome! Again, come on. Again, like we did last Thursday. I'll see you again, same time next week. Yeah! Previously on the Mark Stein Show Anal Swab Watch, the Americans, the Kenyans, and the Japanese have all expressed their misgivings about the Chinese Politburo giving COVID tests rectally to all incoming foreigners. When you enter China, China enters you. In response, the Chicom say, hey, relax, we only anally swab those U.S. diplomats by accident. Oh, and did we mention it's only two inches? The rescheduled Shanghai Film Festival has announced that attending foreigners should prepare in Russia's great words, to assume the position. Highlights of this year's festival include... <laughs> Apocalypse Now! Yeah, you're telling me. Apocalypse Now and all of the Harry Potter movies. 
starting with Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Swab, followed by Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secretion, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, uh, Harry Potter and the Rectum of Fire, Harry Potter and the Order of the Vaseline, Harry Potter and the Deathly Bottom. Oh, I can't really be bothered. Uh, the festival organisers, for the moment, are uh, being rather opaque on whether you'll be liable to <laughs> testing, swabbing for each film. Uh, so it may help to get a bulk discount pass. A fortnight ago, the Japanese government complained to the Chinese foreign ministry that Japanese citizens had said they felt psychologically damaged by the test. And now the South Korean government has announced that for similar concerns, it has negotiated a compromise agreement with Chairman Xi under which South Korean tourists and businessmen landing at Beijing airport will not have to undergo an anal swab as long as they provide a stool sample. Oh, great. Can international travel get any better? That's certainly what I'd call a package deal. Does that go in the overhead bin or do you have to check it? Qualifying South Korean cinephiles at the Shanghai Film Festival will be entitled to exclusive screenings of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stool. Uh, forget it. I'm, I'm done. The whole planet is wrecked. I'm not banging on an Iranian nuke or a Chinese EMP attack anymore. It's going to take a giant meteor strike to do it. The Mark Stein Show presents Andrew Lawton's Canadian Content. Here he is, the best Prime Minister Canada never had. Thank you, Mark. Over the past year, the Canadian government, like so many governments around the world, has used to justify draconian legislation and lockdown rules this idea that we need to do everything in our power to save lives. That if you go and live your life normally, you're going to kill Grandma and pretty much anyone else in your orbit. And this has been the sense that the government has done. We need to do everything to save just one life from the scourge that is COVID-19. But when it comes to saving people from themselves, the Liberals actually have no interest whatsoever. Last week, the Liberal-dominated House of Commons in Canada passed amendments to a bill expanding access to assisted suicide. Among the amendments was one that would actually make assisted suicide legal and available to those suffering only from mental illnesses. If you are dealing with depression, bipolar disorder, some other serious disease of the mind of which a symptom is wanting to end your life, Rather than stopping you from doing it, the government might help you do it. At the risk of getting too bogged down in procedure, yes, I realize parliamentary proceedings are not everyone's bag, no harm taken on my part, the government adopted this amendment in a way that has the least scrutiny possible. Normally, these sorts of provisions are debated by legislators in committee. They have witnesses, they hear testimony, they can produce reports. In this case, this amendment was not even on the table at the review stage. It was slipped in by the Liberal-dominated Senate, which means there's no review whatsoever. If and when this bill passes, all that's happening is the government says, well, for the next two years, we're going to look into it and see if we need to make any changes. But if they don't come to any agreement in the next two years, this will become the law of the land. 
meaning that if a Canadian is suffering from thoughts of suicide, the government will help them fulfill them. Now, for a government that, again, like so many others, has devoted millions, if not billions of dollars into mental health care, suicide prevention, colored ribbon campaigns virtually every week of the year, when now the question becomes, do you value life, they choose no. Canada has had assisted dying on the books for quite some time, and many of the safeguards that were put into place, such as, for example, a prohibition on those dealing with mental illness from accessing it, were deemed essential. The Liberals said, well, you know what, these safeguards are so important, we're not going to allow anyone to get assisted death unless we have all of these boxes checked. All of those safeguards that were considered essential five years ago are now being eroded. Another is a 10-day waiting period. Under these new rules, you could actually request and receive a doctor-assisted death on the very same day. Another is the need to have two independent witnesses. Well, that's actually, the government now says, a discriminatory barrier to the right to end your life if you just have one witness. The same government that would trample on your civil liberties if it just saves one life, that's the metric, if it just saves one life, actually has no respect for life at all. And it raises questions about what was actually behind all of these essential, critical, life-saving measures that governments have been forcing down our throats for the last year. If when the chips are on the table, they're more interested in helping people end their lives rather than giving people necessary treatment to get out of whatever it is that makes them want to end their life. And this is why the mental illness amendment in particular is so revealing. In Canadian politics, one of the worst things you can be in the eyes of the left, in the eyes of the media, is a social conservative. That's the big metric. That's the litmus test. Oh, well, I don't know if they can win. They're a social conservative. Oh, my goodness. Andrew Scheer, the previous leader of the Conservatives, was an evil social conservative with a hidden agenda. And even though he pretty much uh, reversed that agenda the second he became conservative leader, it dogged him virtually every step of the campaign trail. Aaron O'Toole, the new leader of the Conservative Party, not at all a social conservative, but one of the pitches he made during the leadership campaign was that he would at least listen to the social conservatives in the party. He would let them have a voice, and six months after becoming the leader, he summarily turfed one of the most vocal socially conservative members of his caucus, a man by the name of Derek Sloan. And it doesn't elude me that legislation like this, empowering the mentally ill to kill themselves with the state's assistant, is a byproduct of a political climate and culture that does not allow those who stand up for life, who stand up for the untouchable social issues, to partake in civil society, to partake in the political process. Without socially conservative candidates and leaders, you have no one sounding the alarm about this, with the exception of a few that the media has determined are fringe and not worth listening to. So whenever Justin Trudeau hands out some big giant check to some mental health group and talks about the importance of standing up and cutting out the stigma and all of this other stuff, or whenever he talks about the need to save lives to justify whatever COVID restriction or COVID measure he's imposing, just remember that he actually doesn't care about either. Back to you, Mark. Thank you, Andrew. You make a good point. It's too dangerous to go to a restaurant. It's too dangerous to go to church. It's too dangerous to play hockey in the open air on a frozen pond. But the only thing it's not too dangerous to do is kill yourself. I'm beginning to think the entire Western world is one big assisted suicide. <laughs> As you know, we usually wrap these shows up with a song of some sort, but our musical almanac is a little crowded today, so I thought I'd 
sprinkle our lyric palette cleansers throughout the show, the clocks went forward, at least in North America, on Sunday, spring into summer and all that, although not yet in Europe and obviously in the Southern Hemisphere, They'll be falling back to winter. But in the United States and Canada, we're now on daylight saving time. And a lot of people don't like it. And some of those people feel we've got the whole thing. Back to front is Blossom Dairy. There ought to be a moonlight saving time So I could love that man of mine Till the birdies wake and chime Good morning there ought to be a law in clover time To keep that moon out over time To keep each lover's lane in rhyme Till dawning You'd better hurry up, hurry up, hurry up Get busy today You'd better croon a tune to the man in the moon And here's what I'd say There ought to be a moonlight saving time So I could love that man of mine Till the birdies wake and chime Good morning great song disfigured by an impure rhyme right on the title phrase moonlight saving time manner mine time mine the laziest non-rhyme in pop music and all the more remarkable because the guy who sloughed it off is irving kale who wrote one of the uber standards i'll be seeing you which is beautifully rhymed throughout Uh, His composer on Moonlight Saving Time was Harry Richman, who's better known as a singer. He's the guy who introduced Putin on the Ritz. But still, that is an awful cute record by the wonderful Blossom Deary. There ought to be a Moonlight Saving Time. There ought to be. Oh, you know what this music means. Mark's Mailbox is on the air. As you know, I get a little tetchy. little tetchy. I'm not going to put it higher than that. But I, but I might have prodded. Might if you run into me in a bar after a couple of drinks, if you can find a bar where people are allowed to get close enough to fall into conversation. Uh, as you know, I get a little tetchy at commenters who accuse me of being too much of a Nancy boy to talk about this or that on Fox or Rush. I was the very first person on Fox 
uh, after whatever it was, five hours of sob sister drivel uh, to piss all over the citadel of democracy crap that they'd been codswalloping about uh, on January the 6th all afternoon and early evening long. When Cumulus Media said anybody who talked about election fraud would be yanked off their airwaves, I pissed all over Cumulus on Rush and dared them to pull me off the air, which they didn't. Um, Brian Sicknick's autopsy, the, quote, fortifying of the election, I've done segments on all of it on TV and radio. Uh, on Thursday's Clubland Q&A, I happened to mock the boobs at Parlour and Colin Bastable, a first-day founding member of the Mark Stein Club from Texas, thought he heard yet again the sound of Pussy Stein failing to man up, says Colin. Regarding Parlour, I pointed out quite a while ago that they'd compromised by agreeing to apply Apple's and Google's censorship terms to their users. It was always going to end in tears. However, there is a real alternative out there which is under constant attack because it does not accept the left censorship. It offers free speech. Yesterday, pandering to liberals who will always despise him, Greg Abbott... Uh, I think that's the uh, governor of Texas, slagged it off with unfounded attacks as anti-Semitic, classic denigration. Gab is the only game in town not owned by the enemy, and I could not help thinking it was the elephant in the room whilst Mark was talking about parlour. Coming out as a royalist was risky, but maybe mentioning Gab would get Mark sent to the naughty step. I'm not sure I know what the naughty step is. Uh, maybe it's a uh, young person's lingo. Who knows? But for buggering bollocks' sake, I've never been on Gab. I've no idea what Gab is, except that that not-owned-by-the-enemy rubbish is what they were saying about Parler two months back. I mentioned Parler because I was forever being taunted. Why aren't you on Parler, sign? Don't have the guts to move to Parler, eh? And as we now know, the reason I'm not on Parler uh, is because I don't want to be silenced the way Levin and Bongino and all the other Parler butch boys have been for the past couple of months. Um, but you, you're missing the point here, Colin. Whether you like Gab, you don't like Gab, you're hot for Parler, you're not for Parler, whatever... Uh, I'm making a more basic point. Screw your platforms. Platforms you like or platforms you revile. Because platforms are for pussies. Platforms are for losers. Platforms are for wimps. Platforms are for bleepwits. Um, Mark Stein, in my various corporate forms, uh, has three legacy channels at platforms... Uh, where we've had them for a decade or longer, before it became clear that platforms are the death of freedom of expression. Platforms are where liberty goes to die. Uh, but we've got these three legacy platforms we've had for over a decade, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. Uh, in all that time, we have created no content for any of them. We use them only for promotion. Hey, here's Stein's new Sunday poem. Don't miss Stein uh, with Tucker Carlson tonight on TV. My YouTube channel has been utterly dead for a year, ever since I decided I was finally done for it. If you create content for platforms, and this is what smart people like Dennis Prager and even not quite so smart people 
uh, like a certain evening radio host, don't seem to understand. If you create content for platforms, all you're doing is working for free for a very rich man in order to make him even richer. And as all these very rich men are wokier than woke, you're just destroying your world because you get pennies and he gets gazillions of dollars. And I would be surprised if ultimately Gab, no matter how edgy and alt-right it purports to be, proves to be an exception to that rule. So just to make it clear, so don't, so just to make it clear, so we're not getting, you know, all this, ooh, too, don't mention the elephant in the room stuff again. I don't do platforms. Platforms have wrecked the internet. I would like to go back to a pre-platform world. This is an independent website. An independent publisher that has already outlasted such fads of the week as Parler and, uh, and goes to quite a lot of trouble uh, to ensure that it's not vulnerable to the pretty basic stupid means by which Parler was 86 So I'm getting pretty sick of Codswallop like, oh, you're only going on about Parler because you're too scared to mention Gab. Platforms are for wimps. I don't want them. I don't need them. And if you prefer to follow the platform people like Levin and all the rest, there are plenty of them out there. I'm not one of them and never will be. I've never been platformed, so I can't be de-platformed. So go ahead. Oh, OK, Stein, now you mentioned Gab. Oh, but you haven't mentioned the real elephant in the room, have you? Uh, what is that? Bollocks.com, Patriot Eagle Platform Scam Inc., Alt-Right Warrior dot crap. For God's sake. In these trying times, we could all use a little diversion. Watch Mark Stein's readings of work by poets from Robert Browning to Robert Service in Stein's Sunday poems. Whether it's Keats's Ode on a Grecian Urn, John McRae's in Flanders Fields, or James Montgomery's Greenland, Stein brings you the rhyme, rhythm, and reason behind classics and lesser-known delights. Stein's Sunday poems are available exclusively at www.steinonline.com for members of the Mark Stein Club. View the full catalog at www.steinonline.com poems. Here's another of our musical almanac items. 50 years ago today, B.B. Daniels died in London. To Britons, she was the American wife of Ben Lyon and thus the star, along with her husband and kids, of Life with the Lions, which ran for over a decade on BBC radio and television. But as I said... Uh, she was American, born in Texas, and before moving to Britain, had had a whole career in Hollywood, going back to silent shorts, going back to a very early silent screen version of The Wizard of Oz in 1910. Uh, here's B.B. Daniels in the landmark film musical 42nd Street, introducing a song by Harry Warren and Al Dubin, a song of love as an addiction where every kiss, every hug, seems to act just like a drug. You won't forget the modulation on the last eight bars, will you? Okay. You forgot your handkerchief. All right, go ahead. Okay, Ben, tie it up. Hold on, tie it. Hold it. I don't know exactly how it started, but it started in fun. I just wanted someone to be gay with. Just to play with someone But now I realize that I could never let him go 
addicted to your charms. You're getting to be a habit with me. I used to think your love was something that I could take or leave alone. But now I couldn't do without my supply. and her boys in 42nd Street. The title of that song uh, came from the secretary to Warner Brothers musical director Leo Forbstein. The lyricist Al Dubin asked her why she kept going on dates with a certain chap and she replied, I don't know, he's going to be a habit with me. Keep up to date with the past on the 100 Years Ago show with Mark Stein. Bloodbath on the train, a bloodbath at the grain elevator, and a bloodbath at the operetta. It's March 1921. A hundred years from today. Your world news update, the messy aftermath of the Great War continues with Allied troops reoccupying German cities. The fate of the plebiscite in Upper Silesia was considered critical by the Berlin government as to whether it would be able to meet the Allied Reparations Commission payment terms and indeed whether it could remain in the broader sense a global industrial economy. A southwestern section of Upper Silesia has already been ceded to the new Czechoslovakian state. Now, following the votes of the remaining electors, the Supreme Allied Council has ruled that the east of Upper Silesia will go to Poland and the rest remain with Germany. Grover Bergdahl was a convicted World War draft dodger who fled to Canada and thence by ship to Germany. Two American sergeants turned bounty hunters tracked him to the town of Eberbach and attempted to seize him at the railway station. Bergdahl managed to escape 
and a female rail passenger wound up getting shot by one of the sergeants. Now the two Americans have been convicted by a German court of false arrest. Still in Germany, 30 civilians are dead in riots by Bolsheviks in Eisleben and Hetstadt. The police opened fire on the crowd and then, when that failed to quell them, hurled hand grenades into the throng. Following the failure of Greco-Turkish negotiations at the London conference, Greek troops have launched another assault on Turkish territory at Inonu. In happier news for the brand new Republic of Turkey, the post-Ottoman government has announced a new national anthem, the Independence March. In the Soviet Union, the government has put down the Kronstadt Rebellion. The 7th Red Army has retaken the fortress and the surviving members of the naval garrison have either surrendered or fled toward the Finnish border. 800 insurrectionists are said to have made it to safety in Helsingfors. Before fleeing, the Kronstadt Revolutionary Committee destroyed the Soviet warships, the Tropavlovsk and Sebastopol. Back in Moscow, by decree of Comrade Lenin, the Soviet Union has begun implementing its new economic policy. The ruling Communist Party describes it as a free market economy under the control of the state. In Georgia, the Constituent Assembly at Batumi has voted to put itself out of business and abandon the nation to the invading Red Army. The former Menshevik government of Georgia has negotiated a ceasefire, permitting their safe evacuation to France and handing complete control of the country to Russian-backed Bolsheviks. Communism wins some, loses some. The Peace of Riga has been concluded, bringing an end to the Polish-Soviet war on largely Polish terms, including the partition of Belarusia and the Ukraine between Warsaw and Moscow. Back in Poland proper, Parliament has adopted a new constitution, formally declaring the country a republic headed by a president. In Italy... 31 people have been killed and another 100 injured in Milan when a nitroglycerin bomb exploded at the Kersal Diana where a packed theatre was enjoying the new operetta by Franz Lehár, Die Blaue Mazur, The Blue Mazurka.
located on the eastern side of the Jordan River across from the national home for the Jewish people proposed by His Majesty's government in 1917. Andrew Bonner Law shares with the Irish Republican Eamon de Valera the distinction of being the only party leaders born outside the British Isles. Mr Law hailed from New Brunswick in Canada. He is now resigned as Leader of the Opposition at Westminster to be succeeded by Mr Austin Chamberlain. The change in Tory leadership is thought to have weakened the position of parliamentary hardliners opposed to any truck with Mr de Valera and his Irish revolutionaries. There is still no trace of the US Navy airship A5597, which departed the Pensacola Naval Air Station on a training mission, and was last heard from about 20 miles away from St Andrews Bay across the Atlantic following the recent destruction of its dirigible R-54 the British government has decided to give up on airships and the like and pursue instead development of aeroplanes. The British Air Service has offered to give 10 of its largest dirigibles to any syndicate interested in operating them for research. Maybe they would come in useful in policing John Bull's ever more fractious other island. Following the largest battle so far of the current troubles, the Crossberry ambush in County Cork in which a hundred revolutionaries surrounded by 1,200 troops nevertheless managed to fight their way out, there has now been the inevitable reprisal attack at Hedford Junction near Killarney Rebels attacked a train carrying 30 Royal Fusiliers and killed nine of them. The familiar reprisals are now followed by reprisals for the reprisals. 28 Irish Republicans have been killed and another 33 wounded by the army. In the United States, a dust explosion at the world's largest grain elevator has killed at least four of its employees and shattered windows within a five-mile radius of the intersection of 122nd Street and Torrance Avenue in Chicago. Damage is estimated at $10 million and includes at least 7.5 million bushels of corn and the grain elevator itself, which was obliterated in seconds. Speaking of grain elevators, America has a new radio broadcasting station, 9JR in the railroad junction town of Tuscola, Illinois. James Bush, proprietor of the James Bush Grain Company, has started the station in order to provide the latest grain prices to subscribers. So far, he has two customers. 
the owners of the grain elevators at Dorans near Mattoon and on the Illinois Central Railroad branch line in Decatur. The grain prices are read by an enterprising 14-year-old boy, Master Curtis Marsh. In what is reported to be, quote, unprecedented in federal prison annals, the convicted socialist Eugene V. Debs uh, was released temporarily from his imprisonment in Atlanta and permitted to travel by train unguarded to Washington so that he could present his case for a presidential pardon to the Attorney General, Harry Doherty. The Fralo was granted by the prison warden with the permission of President Harding. In Washington, Mr. Debs met privately with the Attorney General for a little more than three hours, then left at 3.30 in the afternoon and the following morning reported back to federal prison in Atlanta, to continue serving his 10-year sentence. In sports news, the 80th Grand National has been held at Aintree Racecourse near Liverpool uh, in the course of the steeplechase. Every horse but one fell. The exception, Sean Spadder, ridden by Dick Reese, won the race. Known to most of her countrymen simply as Concepcion, Concepcion Lombardo de Miramon was the longtime widow of the twice president of Mexico, Miguel Miramon. Senor Miramon was executed with Emperor Maximilian and General Mejia in 1867. Facing the firing squad, the emperor was entitled by rank to the center place among the trio, but ceded it to Senor Miramon out of respect for him. His widow Concepcion survived him by over half a century, all of it devoted to her executed husband's memory. She died a peaceful death in Toulouse at the age of 85. James Gibbons, the Archbishop of Baltimore, was only the second American to be named a Roman Catholic Cardinal. He has died in office at the age of 87. E.W. Hornung is the author of The Many Adventures of A.J. Raffles, the gentleman thief and amateur cracksman. Many were surprised that one could profit from the apparent paradox of an heroic villain, but Raffles' exploits have spread from the printed page to the stage and the photoplay screen. Unlike his cricketing daredevil who could get out of any scrape, Mr. Hornung fell victim to influenza contracted on a train bound for the French Riviera. He was 54. And that's the way of the world, March 1921. A hundred years from today. A hundred years from today. As you know, tomorrow is St. Patrick's Day, and so the latest of my video poems... Uh, offers a poem about uh, St. Columba, because St. Columba is another of the patron saints of Ireland. If, amid the shamrock shakes from McDonald's and other traditional observances, you haven't uh, checked out our 
Columban poem, I hope you will. Along the way, we detoured through a few musings on the various lyrics that were appended to the famous Londonderry air before Fred Weatherly, KC, King's Council, uh, wrote the words of Danny Boy and made them stick to that tune now and forever. Uh, but that diversion down the Londonderry airy scenic route prompted this from Robert, a Stein clubber from the capital city of the Dominion of Canada. I'm not going to say what the capital of Canada is because it sometimes uh, pops up as a quiz question on Tucker's final exam. But uh, Robert from that very city writes, Mark, you should give a hat tip to George MacDonald Fraser in Flash for Freedom. Flashman describes how the dying Beecham Millward coma whose identity Flashman later assumes sings the last so good and true, which people quote nowadays know as Danny Boy. And then, uh, as a bonus, Robert reprises a fine joke. Quote, the Scots comedian uh, Andy Cameron once claimed he was coming out of a Glasgow Rangers social when he was accosted by a guy in great agitation asking, quick, quick, how do I get to the nearest hospital? Uh, Andy responded, uh, go in there and sing Danny Boy, <laughs> which is very true, Robert. Although maybe a little incomprehensible to Americans who don't follow Glasgow footy, Rangers versus Celtic, or Celtic, as my dear old chum Ned Sherin once called them on the BBC while we were on air together. Uh, he'd be heading to the express check-in at that hospital too. Anyway... As a uh, as a treat for Flashman fans, I looked up that passage you referenced with Flashy at a deathbed scene and anxious to procure critical information from the stricken man before he meets his maker. Go on, man, what more? Are there any others like yourself, agents, officers or what? But he just lay there, coughing weakly and breathing in little moaning gasps. I closed the chest and sat down to see if he would revive again. And after a moment, he began to mumble. I leaned close, but it was a moment before I could make out what he was saying. In fact, he was singing in a little whisper at the back of his throat. It was that sad little song, The Last So Good and True that they call Danny Boy nowadays. I knew at once without telling that it was the song his mother had used to sing him to sleep, for he began to smile a little with his eyes closed. I could have kicked the brute. Uh, I think uh, that uh, last so good and true phrase, presumably that would go right at the end of the main strain of the Londonderry air. But we can't keep tap-dancing around Danny Boy all weekend and now... Uh, on the very eve of St. Patrick's Day, you know our great friend Anthony Kearns, who has sung beautifully on our Christmas shows through the years. And this time last year, uh, we were all set to do a special St. Patrick's Day edition of the Mark Stein Show, filmed in the old sod that would have included Anthony doing some of those uh, unsung early lyrics to the London Derriere. And then the old uh, Wooflu hit and international travel got locked down and destroyed our St. Patrick's Day show as it has destroyed almost everything else I love. Uh, but we will 
do that show one year. I promise you that. And if our planned Danny Boy Agogo is on hold, here is Anthony Kearns with the main event. chum Anthony Kearns with Danny Boy. Music from the traditional London Derriere, words by a full-time barrister and part-time songwriter from the west of England, Fred Weatherly, KC. That will do it for today's show. I'll see you this evening for a rare Tuesday appearance on the telly with Tucker. Uh, tomorrow, Laura's links will round up the internet for you right here. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Stay safe, stay free. 
Join us next time for another edition of The Mark Stein Show. The Mark Stein Show is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. All rights reserved.